This is the Rocky Mountain Review Podcast. I am your co-host, Gabe Peterson. And I'm your other co-host, Julia Badalese. This is the Rocky Mountain Review, the live news show that airs 4 to 5, Tuesday and Thursday, on KCSU that has turned into a podcast. And this is what you missed this week. Today for the Rocky Mountain Review, we're going to have an interview with Tom Milligan. Then we're going to go straight into local news with a helicopter crash, as well as a story on Excel. And of course, the robbery that happened here in Fort Collins just the other day, as well as two shootings that have happened in Fort Collins in the last week or so. Then we'll be finishing up local news with a Colorado congressman who is bringing the daughter of a deported man to the State of the Union. Then we'll be going into sports with our sports reporter Bjorn Larson. After that, we're going to go straight into national and global news with a story on Robert Mueller. Then we're going to talk about Fitbits and how they may be affecting those in the military and their jogging routes. And to finish that off, we're going to go into the State of the Union. Then we will go into the music segment with Brian Tysel as well as Kara Zayner to talk about Brockhampton. After that, we're going to do a little politics segment with Alex Scott. We will be signing off with everyone's favorite segment, weather. Well, we are joined here by Tom Milligan. Uh, you are the Vice President of External Relations, and you also sit on the panel for the First Amendment Conversation Series. Is that correct? No, it sure is. Both are true. So my first question to you is, what exactly is the First Amendment Conversation Series panel? Well, it's it's uh, kind of a response. We've been doing this. It's been several months ago. If, if you remember it, and I know you guys do because you're up on this kind of stuff, the incidents in Charlottesville and some other things that happened at various campuses around the country where there was a real you know, flashpoint between what campuses and universities are about, which is an open debate, and the responses and, uh, you know, some of the hate speech, frankly, that came with some of those things. So it's been a it's been a really interesting and tumultuous year. So given that, we thought it was appropriate to bring some of our legal counsel and some folks from the diversity office, some people with classroom expertise, and, you know, and me from being in the public relations sort of, you know, media world, to try and, you know, just talk through some of these issues, share insights, say what we think is happening and what we ought to do about it. So it's the kind of thing we do at universities, right? Something big is happening, so we, we talk about it and we try and learn from it. And so I think that's what we've done, and I think it's been been, you know, as effective as it can be. It's been pretty interesting. I know that. Yeah. So, I mean, you guys started this back in September last year in the yeah. fall. Yeah. So just being such a new resource for students, like what exactly is the uh, goal for launching this website and the conversation series panel? Well, I think the goal, if you want to get really lofty about it, is is to do what universities do, which is to create an environment where people can both be civil and respectful, but, you know, sometimes vehemently disagree about these things. And I think that that's, that's not happening, frankly, on a national political basis to the degree that we think it should, or that maybe anybody thinks it should. And so I think if universities can take a lead role in saying, look, you don't have to agree with people, but you do have to be able to talk about some of these issues. That, that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin, though, is that there are some people who are really working hard to push buttons and be provocateurs and to try and get people to react to things that they find both hateful, offensive, and and in some instances scary. So, you know, we're, we're in an interesting spot where we believe as an institution very clearly our principles of community state where we believe in diversity we believe in social justice that's the that's a part of who we are as an institution but we also very much believe in the free and open exchange of ideas even ideas that may not match with what we think our principles of community are so we're doing our best to make sure that people understand that that they have resources to figure out well what do you do when something like this happens and how do you respond and so that's that's kind of the the, the genesis of it and the ongoing effort yeah so kind of just touch on what you just said. I think the uh, 
The most prominent example is coming up this Friday with Charlie Kirk and the uh, Smashing Socialism uh, presentation that's happening at 5.30 in the LSC. Um, are you guys preparing for this any different than you would any other speaker? Or, um, and if so, why do you think that is? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I don't necessarily, yeah, the answer is yes. I mean, the, the world is, is a different place uh, pre and post Charlottesville. There's just no doubt about it. I mean, the things that have happened nationally and some of the things that have happened, you, you don't prepare. You're not, you're not really doing your job. You're not creating that safe environment that we are dedicated to creating. So, yeah, we've been, we've been meeting a whole lot about this and trying to figure out, okay, how is it that we can honor our commitment to a free and open exchange of ideas, even ideas that some on our community might not value? value or, or share, and at the same time, keep it safe. Um, and nobody wins when, when things get out of hand and when things aren't safe. And we've seen examples of that, you know, in Berkeley and in Seattle. And I, I have friends and colleagues who work at universities in different places. And so we've talked to people around the country, seen what happens when some of these, you know, speeches and opposition points come together. And it's, you know, it's interesting and, and it's, uh, it's, you know, a little, a little intimidating in some ways. But I, I think we've done a lot of thinking about, all right, how do we, again, Say what we mean about who we are and preserve at the same time that safe environment. So it's, it takes a lot of planning. It takes a lot of folks. There's a, a whole bunch of people, student affairs, security, police, um, our communications people, the facilities people, the student center. I mean, <laughs> everybody's kind of thinking, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to manage this? And, you know, I think, I think we've come up with a good plan, but, you know, we'll see. Uh, yeah. But, but I'm, I'm confident that our goals are clear. We want to be... We want to be protecting the First Amendment rights of people. This, the Charlie Kirk came in through a registered student organization who followed the right processes to bring him in and have a speech, and his speech is, is his to make, and their their right to bring him here. So we want to make sure that even if people object to that, that he has a right to do that. At the same time, we also don't want to have clashes if we can avoid it. Yeah, absolutely. So this is kind of a loaded question, but uh, in... I don't know, in your own personal terms, maybe like the organization that you guys have, can you kind of define like what hate speech would be here on yeah, campus? Isn't that a great question? That's one of the things that we go into at some length at, at these First Amendment sessions, because the answer that the attorneys always give is it depends. It depends. Uh, it depends. I mean, it depends on the circumstance. It depends on the target. It depends on is it at an individual or is it at a group or is it from a podium? Is it directly into a person? Is it one of those those uh, guys on the, on the plaza that you see sometimes who, you know, kind of haze people as they go by, that, that's, that can cross the line into hate speech. But if he's just ranting and he or she is just ranting and raving about whatever their beliefs are, that doesn't. So, it, uh, the, you know, I, I don't think, I mean, it's, it's like that uh, Supreme Court uh, justice, I think it was Thurgood Marshall who said about pornography, he goes, I don't know what it is, but I, I know no, when, when I, I see it. it. Exactly. I, I, I think the courts tend to decide whether these things, in fact, cross a line into hate speech. But so I, it's it, hard for us to say. When you have your meetings, do you guys kind of like go over like civil law cases that have happened in the past? I mean, Sure. Is that something that you kind of look into and then make a decision as a university of, okay, maybe this is hate speech or obscenity on campus? Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, I, I, think that, I think that our legal team is involved. But, you know, there's also, there's also you can't presuppose that they're going to – I mean, uh, Charlie Kirk's speech is, is about uh, capitalism versus socialism. That, there's nothing inherently hateful about that. Some people have made some assertions about the affiliated groups that are involved with him. But, I mean, I think his speech, um, it's, it's a – certainly a worthy topic. What, what happens from that, what happens who comes to it and things like that is where there, there's some concern about, among some in the community. But I think you have to be here, – here's, here's where I think we come down on this. I, I think the institution needs to try its very, very best to be content neutral about the things that are being said. We, we shouldn't be in the business of deciding 
what should be said and what shouldn't be said. That's not really what we do. Now, we can decide how we can help it be said or prevent it from being heckled down or prevent from, you know, uh, chaos from, from ensuing from these things. I think that's where we try and come in. So, yeah, we do look at case law, but we're, we're not we're not inclined and we are reluctant to try and say, no, you can't, you can't do that or you can't say that before somebody said something. I think that's not the role of a university. Yeah, so you were talking about there's certain groups that are, you know, not, I guess, kind of protesting this speech. So does CSU encourage st- students to protest here on campus? Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, I think if you look at the, the, the emails that we sent out to campus, they said, look, when, when you have a speech that comes to campus and you don't like it, one of the three or four things we recommend is organize a counter or uh, event. Have your own speaker that has a counter view or organize a peaceful protest in response. Absolutely. The First Amendment is a two-way street. The truth is, is that if somebody says something that is hateful to you, you are absolutely empowered to say something hateful back. I mean, I'm sorry, that's, that's the wrong way to put it. You're <laughs> absolutely imp- entitled to say something that is exactly opposite of what that view is yep. and, and to stand firmly for that. So, I, yeah, I, we, we think it's it's not just um, it's not just a right, but it's something that that universities do. I mean, we, we want that kind of exchange of ideas. I mean, uh, I've heard I've heard Tony talk about this a fair amount, and I think he says it right. He says, "Look, the best thing we can do for bad ideas is give them air, you know, yeah. and let people figure out. Well, that's a bad idea. Yeah. And I, I think there's some truth in that." So uh, my last question for you, uh, Tom, is the First Amendment conversation series next upcoming session is February 14th. Huh? Uh, can you kind of explain where and when the session is and oh, what will gosh. be the topic? You're going to catch me on that because I didn't, I, I don't exactly know. I know I'm on the panel. Yeah. Uh, it's, I think it's in the LSE or it, Cherokee Ballroom. It's I'd Cherokee Ballroom. It's here in the student center. I wasn't sure which room. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yes. And so we'll have uh, legal counsel and we'll have uh, people from the diversity office and we'll have some academic people. So what that conference is about is is uh, free speech in the classroom. So that, that's interesting topic. You guys actually would, would, would resonate with this. So wh- where are there limits to free speech? Well, the classroom I- is, is an area where if you get up and you say, look, I really want to talk about um, uh, Nicaragua today, and I really want to protest you know, the policies of the institution involving that, um, the professor can say, yeah, this is a geology class. Uh, we're, <laughs> we're, not, we're not doing that. That's not, that's not what we're doing. The classroom is the purview of and, is, and the direction of and is controlled by faculty. That's both appropriate and necessary. And so there, it's not everywhere. You, you know, free speech is, is a core value of ours, but you have to understand that the faculty run their classroom. So a lot of faculty, and, and, and many of the, I'm sure that you run into in your classes very much encourage this sort of dialogue and sort of exchange of ideas. That's great. We sh- that, that should be what happens. But it is at the faculty member's discretion. Yeah. Yep. Certainly up to them. Uh, well, thank you, Tom. I uh, appreciate you coming on today. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here at the Rocky Mountain Review. Uh, when we come back, we're going to jump right into local and uh, Fort Collins news, as well as our sports segment with Bjorn Larson. Uh, stay tuned. Thanks a lot. Yep. You're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. Um, we n- are going to go straight into local news, yeah. um, which means I am starting that. I didn't even realize that was happening. That's okay. All right. Uh, the Northern Colorado Airport has good reason to delay planes on Friday, according to the Loveland Reporter Herald. A plane and a helicopter collided on the runway prior to takeoff. The crash involved a Beechcraft Bonanza and Robinson R44. Each aircraft contained only one pilot, and they escaped with minimal 
minimal injuries, according to the airport's Twitter. After the crash, the helicopter was leaking fluid, but Loveland Fire Rescue Chief Greg Ward said the crash caused no fires. Federal Aviation Administration staff were present at the airport on Friday afternoon to conduct initial investigations and to approve removal of the damaged aircraft. The uh, FAA says it could take several days to determine the cause of the accident. However, according to radio traffic from the Common Traffic Advisory Frequency for Northern Colorado Regional Airport, the helicopter pilot told the airplane pilot that he was conducting a, quote, missed approach, which typically means a full stop landing can't occur, so the pilot could be climbing along the runway, heading but not landing. The FAA says that the plane is registered to a limited liability company out of Wellington, while the, while the helicopter is registered to Jesse R. Motes of Riverton, Illinois. The names of the pilots have not been released yet, and officials say neither pilot is based out of the airport, also reports the reporter Herald. Uh, these accidents are rare at the Northern Colorado Airport. The last ex- accident occurred on February 5th, 2017, when a pilot lost control of his plane in flight. The pilot involved in that crash was also able to walk away from the accident. Thank you, Julia. Yeah. I'm going to flip it over to JD. Right. Colorado Excel workers are headed to Puerto Rico to aid the Hurricane Maria recovery effort. Excel, the Minneapolis-based power company, provides power to eight states and is the largest provider in Colorado. More than 60 workers will help with the effort to fully restore electricity to the U.S. territory, Denver Post Joe Rubino reported. The workers are scheduled to return on February 19th, Sonia Gutierrez of KUSA reported. Excel is one of more than 20 other companies that are sending a combined 1,500 workers and additional resources to Puerto Rico, according to a company press release. Maria was a Category 4 hurricane that hit the island on September 20th, 2017. About 40% of local power in Puerto Rico has not had service restored. That's hundreds of thousands without power in a territory with a population of more than 3 million. One employee, Mark Newby, said he was worried they would spend more time picking up fallen trees and debris. Newby explained that the poles that have fallen there are probably tangled in the vegetation, so they would have to trim the trees and cut a path through the pole line to reach the poles. By the end of January, about 50 line workers and 15 support will fly to the island to join equipment trucks that were shipped this month. The workers will be assigned to the mountainous region of Cagayas, south of the capital of San Juan. 20 of the workers will be from Colorado. Excel Executive Vice President Kent Lawson said in the release, This is a massive undertaking under difficult circumstances, but our crews are ready to bring power back on safely. He added that they would do the same for their customers, stating, We want to deliver the same quality of service to our fellow citizens in Puerto Rico. Thank you, J.D. I'm going to send this off to Gabe for a, uh, a robbery tale. Yes, yes, yes. Daring heist. <laughs> Daring heist. Fort Collins police have arrested a man after a reported armed robbery happened in Midtown near the shopping center at Drake and South College. CSU's public safety team sent out an email to all students yesterday after a reported armed robbery occurred near the university, but quickly sent out another email claiming that the suspect was in custody. Casa Nindrijas of the Coloradoan reports that the suspect robbed the store, wine and liquor specials with a handgun, and was seen running through the parking lot in front of the store, and police shortly began looking for the suspect. The suspect is currently in custody, and it is unclear of how much money was stolen, but the investigation will be ongoing, and police are currently interviewing witnesses. And uh, 
I'm going to send that over to now uh, Julia, I guess. Yeah. Thought it was Raven, but I guess it's Julia. That's coming up next. Sorry, Raven. <laughs> um, two suspects have been arrested and are being held in maximum security after a man was found dead in the Woodland Apartments parking lot Sunday evening. A resident in the area said the complex is normally a little loud, but that night the crime occurred that there were uh, there was more commotion than usual. 29-year-old Donnie Pulliam as well as 26-year-old Janae Cardenas are the two in custody. They were arrested under the suspicion of a felony murder and aggravated robbery with a, with a weapon. The name of the deceased was released today. 19-year-old Dylan Salas is the victim of the crime. Pulliam and uh, Cardenas are arrested were, arrest, were arrested yesterday late in the afternoon as the investigation at the scene continued into Monday morning, reports Casa Niedringhaus from the Coloradoan. William is said to have a small history of crime with a misdemeanor and a few felonies, while Cardenas has committed two minor crimes. Police have said that they believe that two, uh, the two suspects were thought to have been in a physical dispute with the deceased, though there is no evidence yet of their relationship with Salas. Niederinghaus also reports that Pulliam and Cardenas made an appearance on video at the Larimer County Justice Center and are currently being held without bond. And on uh, about the same news, another shooting occurred last night in roughly the same area of southwest Fort Collins. The 23-year-old victim of the attack's um, door was reportedly kicked in, and he was injured and taken to the hospital for treatment, while, three, while the three suspects escaped from the scene in a white car that has been described as a Kia or a Nissan, reports Saja Hindi of the Colorado Inn. Descriptions of the suspects have been limited so far, but they are said to be around 5'10", as well as the identity of the victim of the attack, have not yet been released to the public. If you have any information, Fort Collins Police can be reached at 970-419-FCPD. And I will send it over to Raven for the last local story. Democratic House Representative Ed Polmutter of uh, Arvada will be attending the State of the Union address tonight with the daughter of a man deported under President Donald Trump. Vivian and Dozola uh, Marquise, a student at Yale University, whose father was deported in December, will be Perlmutter's guest to the president's first State of the Union address this evening, according to Jesse Paul of the Denver Post. Marquise witnessed U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement detain her father, uh, Malesio and Deloza Mar Morales, uh, in October when she returned to Colorado to attend one of the last meetings before her father received a green card. Uh, despite efforts to protect Morales by Colorado legislatures, he was deported in December without notification of his family. Marquise stated that she knew he had been deported when he stopped calling and she no longer could access his file on the detainee locator. She told the New York Times, quote, we had no notice. Morales also arrested or Morales was also arrested by ICE in March of 1997 for knowingly possessing a false identification document and attending, intending to use the document to defraud the United States. He has four children in the United States, all of whom are U.S. citizens. Pearl Mutter, who personally knew both father and daughter, says that he is bringing Marquise as his guest to remind the president of the effect his immigration policy is having. He also communicated that he feels that Morales was doing good things in the United States by learning English, paying taxes, and raising a family. Perlmutter stated that he believed, quote, these policies of the Trump administration are just causing pain and anguish to people who don't deserve it. Marquise also commented on the message her attendance will send, saying, quote, 
What I think that I'd like to say to the rest of the lawmakers is that the policies that they are enacting are having real day-to-day consequences on people all around the nation. Other Democrats, including House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi and Colorado Representative Jared Polis, will be accompanied by DACA recipients to communicate a similar message on immigration. The president will also have guests at the speech identified by the White House as those who have been benefited by the new tax bill and those affected by the opioid epidemic. Marquise is planning to apply to law school and become an immigration lawyer. She expressed that she felt Trump is focused on bolstering his image through situations like hers and said of the president, quote, I hope that people aren't fooled by his capacity to put on a show. Thank you, Raven. (laughs) Uh, that's concluding uh, local and Fort Collins news, and now we're going to send it over to our sports reporter, Bjorn Larson. Take it away. Yeah, I'll start with uh, women's basketball. CSU women's basketball player Hannah Turvdy was named the Mountain West Women's Basketball Player of the Week for her performance in last week's games. This marks the first weekly conference honor for Turvdy's career. Last week, Turvdy averaged 22 points per game on a 19-for-31 shooting, along with 9.5 rebounds, 2 assists, and 2 steals per game. Included in those performances was a career-best 28-point outing in the Rams' 72-to-43 win over San Diego State on Wednesday. Turvdy shot 12-for-18 in that performance and added 10 rebounds for her third double-double of the season. Defensively, she added 4 steals. The Colorado State women's basketball team returns to the road this week for a Mountain West matchup at Wyoming and Nevada. The Colorado State Rams tallied their first win of the 2018 season with a 6-1 victory over Milwaukee on Sunday. The Rams' number one doubles duo of Alyssa Gravala and Priscilla Palmero led the way, winning their match 6-2. It's great to get the first win of the year, said CSU head coach Jared Camrata. Quote, we had some good energy in the singles. Now we just have to get some rest and some more good practices in, and we'll be ready to go for our next trip to Nebraska next weekend. End quote. The Colorado State track and field team continued action at the Air Force Invitational last weekend, where dominant performance from the women's weight throw and men's shot put highlighted a successful two days for the Rams. CSU had three of the top four shot putters in the Mountain West, with Mustafa Hassan placing first, Austin Blejo second, and Alex Blejo fourth. CSU also performed well in the women's 60-meter hurdles with a good showing by Marie Beth Sant as she placed second in the race with a time of 7.43 seconds, which is her season best. Sant's performance also ranks fifth on CSU's indoor list. The Rams' next meet is scheduled for February 1st through 3rd at the CU Open in Boulder. And that wraps up your sports awesome. for this week. Thank you, Bjorn. Yeah. Bjorn. yeah, women's basketball killing it, though. Yeah, Shout they're doing really well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we are going to go to a really quick break, but we will be back with national and global news as well as our music segment. So uh, stay tuned. You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review, only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Don Corleone, thank you so much for seeing me. I know you're a very busy man. It's not a problem, my friend. How can I be of service to you? I need a favor, my godfather. It's it's the CSU students. They, they want to listen to KCSU while they may not be able to tune into the radio. They may be studying or, or out of town or... Easy, easy, my friend. I've already heard this request. It is done. How, how, how do you mean? I have already made arrangements. KCSUFM.com is fully functional so they can listen wherever and whenever they want to online. Don Corleone, that's, that's brilliant! 
How did you get that to happen? <laughs> I gave them an offer they couldn't refuse. KCSU, Godfather approved. Welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. We have some natural sounds in here, the stapling. I like yes, that. we do. <laughs> um, yeah, we're back with national and global news. I'm going to send it right over to Raven for the uh, Robert Mueller story. The New York Times reported last Thursday that President Trump had ordered for Robert Mueller to be fired last June. There are now two bipartisan bills in Congress that are pending that would protect Mueller from being terminated. One bill is sponsored by Cory Booker, a Democrat from New Jersey, and Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina. The other bill is proposed by Chris Coons of Delaware and Tom uh, Tillis of North Carolina. This bill would allow the special counsel to challenge the removal of Mueller to a three-judge panel. Graham had a good amount to say in an interview on ABC's The Week, saying Mueller is the perfect guy to get to the bottom of what happened in regards to possible Russian collusion in the election. I think my job, among others, is to give him the space to do it. I intend to do that. I, had, I have got legislation protecting Mr. Mueller, and I'll be glad to pass it tomorrow. I see no evidence that Mr. Trump wants to fire him now. Robert S. Mueller III was named by the Justice Department as the person who would oversee the Russians, quote, meddling in the 2016 election. According to Tal Copen of CNN, Mueller has a long history with prosecution and investigation and is the predecessor of James Comey, who was fired by President Trump in May 2017. Mueller was the longest director of the FBI in history behind J. Edgar Hoover. Cheryl Gay Stolberg and Nicholas Fonda of the New York Times report that discussions to combine the two bills into one piece of legislation have not been making very much progress. The Judiciary Committee chairman, Senator Charles E. Grossley of Iowa, said on Friday that these two bills would have to be reconciled before anything else would be done. Uh, Grassley said, if these latest reports are true, it seems to me that they show the president listening to, a good, uh, listening to good advice from his advisors uh, based on his statement from the last couple of weeks and his lawyers appearing to be cooperative with Mueller. All right, and we're going to go over to J.D. Mm -hmm. The online fitness tracker, Strava, has generated concern by the Department of Defense as, it its, as its anonymous heat map of fitness activity has highlighted military installations around the world. According to BBC News, the app is meant to show global fitness activity, and in developed parts of the world, the heat map is completely lit up, but in less developed or remote locations, activity like jogging around a base stick out to a keen observer. Most of these base sites can be seen through satellite imagery, but the heat map offers a look into the movement of personnel within these installations, whether it be just jogging routes or patrols. Defense Secretary James Mattis has been informed and is opting to looking towards changing wearable and smart technology within DOD facilities. Pentagon spokesperson Colonel Robert Manning released this statement in response. We take these matters seriously and are reviewing the situation to determine if any additional training or guidance is required and if any policy must be developed to ensure the continued safety of DOD personnel at home and abroad. 
reports Joshua Bellinger of CNN. The information regarding these heat maps was highlighted by 20-year-old Australian international security student who came across the maps while browsing a cartography blog and said, I just looked at it and thought, oh, this should not be here. This is not good, <laughs> reports the BBC. The information, although revealing of paths, may not be all that useful as the data is supposed to be anonymous, but if the information is not as anonymous as it appears to be, it could show serious shortcomings in security. For now, it remains to be seen the response that will be taken to these heat maps. Interesting stuff there, D.D. Yeah, no. <laughs> Anyways, uh, finishing our local or national news, I suppose. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, the Colorado congressmen, as well as people all across the nation, are bringing dreamers to tonight's State of the Union. And uh, this will be about the State of the Union, which will be the topic of our roundtable. Um, President Donald Trump is scheduled to make his first State of the Union address tonight amid controversy surrounding immigration as well as the Nunez memo. In regards to immigration, Democrats across the nation are planning to bring undocumented citizens who were brought here as children. Democratic Minority House Leader Nancy Pelosi is planning on bringing a young woman named Melody Kling Klingenfuss who was born in Guatemala and brought to the United States at nine years old. She gained a degree in communications and political science from California State University, Los Angeles and a master's degree from USC, reports the New York Times. Quote, tonight when the president looks into the gallery during his State of the Union, he will see the dignity, courage, and patriotism of dozens of dreamers, said Pelosi. The New York Times also reports that Republicans plan on flipping the switch on Democrats. Representative Paul Gassar, Republican of Arizona, tweeted today saying, Congressman Gassar contracted the U.S. Capitol Police, as well as Attorney Jeff Sessions, asking that they consider checking identification of all attending the State of the Union address and arresting any illegal aliens in attendance. <clears throat> this is not the only topic of discussion facing the State of the Union, however. There is a growing controversy regarding a secret mem memo regarding the FBI and the Department of Justice and their, quote, motivation while investigating whether the Trump campaign colluded with Russia, reports The Independent. Devin Nunez, chairman of the House Select Intelligence Committee, and his committee staff have spent months compiling the memo. The memo, according to The Independent, reportedly alleges that the senior FBI and DOJ officials relied on questionable and politically motivated sources to justify their surveillance of Trump and his officials and their ties to Russia. The New York Times reports Trump now has five days to release the memo or keep it classified. The State of the Union is scheduled to start at 9 p.m. Eastern tonight. And that will wrap up national and global news. Yep. What we will be going into our music segment right now. We have uh, Brian Tysel, and we also have Kara Zaner. I said that right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't hit the moose. Um, in here to talk about, I believe Brockhampton. Is that correct? Brockhampton. That's the one. Oh, how could you not talk about Brockhampton? I Thank love you, JD. Brockhampton. They're known as the prettiest boy band in the world, right? The internet's first boy band. The internet's first boy band. But yeah, they no. are also very beautiful. We'll let <laughs> you guys get into your segment, but they're great. Yeah, take it away. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can join. If well, yeah, I mean, I'd, if I knew who they were, the I'd love it. <laughs> uh, so we're talking about Brockhampton. So Brockhampton is the uh, internet's first boy band. Uh, they are just coming off, just going on to their tour. Uh Love Your Parents tour uh, coming to Denver on the 22nd of February. And they are just coming off 2017 of three super hot albums, Saturation 1, Saturation 2, and Saturation 3. Uh, they are a collaborative band in the same vein to Tyler, the Creator, and Odd Future, Wolfgang. Um, 
they hit massive critical and uh, audience success uh, over all three albums and all over 2017. Uh, some of their biggest um, names are Boogie, Gold, Sweet, and Gummy, just to name a couple. They Over the course of the three albums, they put out, I believe, 48 different songs. Uh, that's several hours worth of content. So if any of you want to start the trek now, I definitely suggest it uh, earlier rather than later. And it really doesn't take that long because I didn't even hear about them until maybe like, what was it, last week you were showing me them and then I've heard every single album now and I'm completely <laughs> in love. There you go, Kara. Yeah, I've, I've been binge listening to them and I think... I think what fascinated me the most was the fact that they they work so well together with 11 people. I mean, some of them producers and then some of them the actual music artists. But, you know, some people can't even work together with three or four. But having 11 people all having their own unique story, all of them being able to speak with their own verses on something completely different than the last verse. And yet having it sound so so musically and just fun and you know really interesting is really impressive especially for three albums in one year so what did you say they do are they are they rap are they rappers or yeah they're a mix of rappers producers hip-hop artists and vocalists okay so nobody's named Brockhampton. it's just the group no just like nobody's named jethro tall okay <laughs> all right so correct me if i'm wrong but didn't uh Brockhampton, like when they they first started out, none of them had met each other. They had all met online, and they started producing online rather than together. So some of them, yeah. yeah. That the correct answer is some of them. Okay, I so I wasn't sure. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I figured I'd ask the experts. So the two <laughs> co-founders, Kevin and Amir, um, Kevin Abstract and Amir Vaughn, both having previously uh, done music under solo names. Uh, came together they actually met in high school in west texas and started up this former uh their former band former collaborative band alive since forever which ended before 2016 and then 2016 onward uh they've been known as brockhampton and they've been steadily growing their numbers to the 11 you see today plus a couple managers here and there and um, a good amount of them, at least like some of the rappers that have joined them, they do, they all, most of them are from West Texas. I think with the exception of a couple, like one of their producers is from Granada, Spain, and wow. one of them is from the Middle East, but for the most part, they're all from West Texas, which is featured in every single one of their music videos. And guess how old they are? Ooh, they 40. are 20. They're 20, yeah. 21, and the oldest is 24, which I think is fascinating. That is. That is. <laughs> Kevin is three days older than me. <laughs> like, literally. <laughs> uh, yeah, and all of their music videos are super interesting. All of them feature their uh, local West Texas roots and su super lo-fi artwork, if you're into that sort of thing. I definitely suggest that. Uh in their post 2000 or 2017 glow they released a direct their like a sort of director's commentary for all of their music videos put together in this one big collaborative dvd hmm. uh it's out on youtube if i'm thinking about that correctly yeah i'm i'm seeing nods so yeah it's uh, <laughs> I'm seeing nods. um they also have tour videos out for their like major states that they're touring in. So Texas, California, which is where they're both living now between Texas and California. What is, in your opinion, Brian or Kara, what's their best song? 
What what should I what should I listen you to after the show? I don't think you can do that with any band. I oh, oh, there are totally bands you could do that with. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ween, Ocean Man, guaranteed greatest song. <laughs> yeah. Queen? Ween. Ween. Oh, I was like Queen. What? Anyways. Oh, yeah, no. so this is this is pretty divisive. Uh, everybody I've talked to that listens to Broadcampton has a different favorite song. Uh, mine, personally, I'd have to say is either Haughty or Boogie. Um, both of those songs are incredible, and Boogie is more, I think, what people would consider more like traditional Brockhampton. And then Haughty is a very, like, anti-rap song. It's almost anti-rap to me. It's pretty cool. And very much almost, it's almost poppy, I would say, mm. rather than rap. Well, Kara was shaking her head, so I think that I don't know how divisive yeah, that was. Yeah, so Boogie is my favorite because, and also just the music video aesthetic that goes with it, which is how I discovered them with Brian, was it's like the perfect summer kind of childish Gambino meets Tyler the Creator mix. Um, where, and uh, most of it is filmed inside that uh, the 7-Eleven in the summer and they're all drinking Slurpees and you know I mean they're also robbing banks and throwing it but but it's like the perfect summer jam which is summer. I think I've that seen one's that my music favorite. video I think I have yeah. seen that actually so that one's one of my favorite songs and then the other song that I th it's not my um it's, it's my favorite for a different reason. I mean, it's one of their softer sounds with some of their hardest lyrics. It's called Junkie. And they, this is where, when I was talking about, they each all have their different story with each verse. They each get into their own personal stories with this song. So Kevin Abstract is gay, and he talks about what it's like being a gay, gay rapper and hip-hop artist. And then you have... Um, this guy named Matt Champion talking about how his mom like was an alcoholic and then you have another one talking about he, how he never really talks to his family anymore you know it just like goes back and forth between each one so like sound wise it's their softest but lyrically it's definitely their hardest and that's another one of my favorites but awesome it's, it's a complete opposite of Boogie which I think is that's how versatile they are and they have everything in between yeah, well, I'm definitely going to check them out. They sound interesting. They are very interesting. Cool. Well, thank you guys for coming on the show. We're going to wrap up our music segment. Uh, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to do our roundtable segment, kind of just about the State of the Union as a whole. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll be joined by Alex Scott, our promotions director. Hello. And, uh, yeah, we'll have J.D. Layton, Raven Color, in the studio, and we will be right back. Yep, you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review, only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Tribal Rights Custom Tattoo, Piercing, and Body Jewelry is a proud underwriting sponsor of 90.5 KCSU. Located at 628 South College Avenue, Tribal Rights is open noon to 10 p.m. Monday through Saturday and noon to 7 p.m. on Sundays. More information can be found at tribalrightstattoo.com. KCSU thanks Tribal Rights for their underwriting support. In Colorado, one in four women, one in six men... And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. Um, I am in here with a lot of people. Uh, we got Gabe Peterson, my co-news director. How's it going? Not bad. We also have Alex Scott, our promotion director Hello. here. Although I am not acting in that activity. I, that, he is, I, he is well, our political I, I mean, correspondent we know, now. But that's your title, so. Not currently right now. I'm not getting paid for this. <laughs> And this is a very a, important distinction. We have J.D. Layton in the studio as well, our national news correspondent. I'm never far from the mic. 
and Raven Color, uh, which we will soon get a better title for you besides Reporter. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Great. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, so we're going to jump into our roundtable, kind of going to go over um, just the past few weeks of just kind of like Russia, American Ties, the State of the Union tonight, Robert mm-hmm. Muir, just all that kind of stuff. Um, Alex, why don't you just kind of take it away and give us a few points and we can start talking about it. All right. Well, uh, this week I kind of started from last Tuesday and worked forward and we're going to work back from today towards that date. Um, But this those span of days has been huge in terms of news regarding uh, the kind of Russia investigations Um, today, I believe, if my notes are correct. Yes. Today, the 30th, uh, actually, but it was yesterday uh, the deputy director of the FBI, Andrew McCabe, announced that he was stepping back from all responsibilities about a month and a half earlier than he had planned. Uh, he had planned to retire with full pension in March, which is when he got all of his benefits came in. And uh, then they would choose a different uh, deputy director. This is important because uh, the deputy director is the one managing the special investigation run by Robert Mueller III into Russian actions to affect the American election and whether or not the Donald Trump campaign knew anything about those actions, etc. This is because Jeff Sessions long ago last year had to recuse himself after it came out that he had possible ties to Russia himself and could be implicated in this investigation. Um, That was reported at the time to, uh, quote, infuriate Trump because he believes that uh, he should it is the Departments of Justice's uh, business to insulate him from any sort of harm from these investigations, which is not true. Uh, There should be a separation between the Department of Justice, the FBI, et cetera, and the Office of the Presidency. Um, In addition to this, there has been a concerted effort in the Republican House Intelligence Community uh, or committee, excuse me, headed by Devin Nunes um, to try and create this idea that the uh, FBI is biased against Donald Trump. Is uh, there is a a conspiracy within the uh, FBI to uh, take down Donald Trump, and this is evident by the uh, memo, trademark. Get, uh, put together by Devin Nunes himself, um, which is highly unusual and highly uh, improper because Devin Nunes had to recuse himself from anything related to Russia uh, in the about I think August of last year after he independently uh, informed the White House about findings that the uh, committee had found to uh, in order to coordinate damage control messaging with them, which is highly improper when you're trying to investigate uh, the White House. So that that memo is uh, going to has been voted to be released by the House Intelligence Committee on a party line vote. Uh, the Republicans obviously hold a majority. That committee they decide what gets released, what doesn't. The Democrats have uh, been claiming that this memo is based on only a very limited amount of classified information that has been intercepted by the F- FBI and NSA, and that the uh, FBI improperly uh, renewed a FISA court warrant, which is the uh, surveillance court. It's a secret court that uh, gives permission to the FBI to tap people's phones, collect information about their time online, that sort of thing. Uh, they incorrectly and improperly asked for an extension on a uh, wiretap or something of that sort on a Carter Page, who was a high-ranking official in the uh, Trump uh, campaign for president. Um, these the uh, memo centers around two te- uh, set of text messages between two FBI uh, 
like employees who were having a, an extramarital affair during the summer, one of which was a lawyer and the other which was an agent who was on Robert Mueller's team. These two agents were fired almost immediately as these texts came to light. But uh, Robert, but Devin Nunes is trying to claim that there is a, quote, secret society uh, within the FBI that makes them impossible to investigate uh, Donald Trump in a fair manner. Um, yes. So the Justice Department, in fact, has called the release of this memo reckless, dangerously reckless uh, to any investigation and to uh, sources of intelligence that, quote, no one on the committee, committee except Devin Nunes has access to. So why, why, why would it be reckless? Just because it's, from what I understand, they're pretty much saying it'd be reckless because it would give insight into how the FBI and the Department of Justice pretty much goes through investigations and gets their information and their sources? Um, partially. It, they're also saying it's reckless because it doesn't demonstrate the full range of the Justice Department's knowledge of this these text messages. So uh, again, this is a three and a half page memo. Yeah. This isn't some like giant report. This is was written in secret by Devin Nunez's uh, staff. It wasn't even announced to anyone besides Devin Nunez on the committee until last week. Um, the Justice Department has said that if you release this, this will violate an agreement between the Justice Department and the House Intelligence Committee to uh, on the sharing of classified information that they have uh, to provide information to the intelligence community. Are the Democrats going to make their own memo? Is that uh, they saw? have their own memo, but the Republicans voted on a party line vote when they were voting to release the me their Devin Nunes's memo to uh, not allow the Democrats to re release their version of the memo, which is based on the same underlying intelligence. But uh, the Democrats claim gives a more full view of what uh, the intelligence community knows. Okay. Yeah, I just that you know, saying it's reckless. I I don't I don't know because he's he's the House Intel selection. He's the selection committee, right? The Intel selection committee, Devin Nunez. Um, the Republican. Yes, but a little history on Devin Nunez. He does not have any experience in the intelligence field. He has a. Uh, I believe some sort of agricultural degree from uh, California State or a state school in California and has in the past tried to directly interfere and slow down the House Intelligence uh, Committee's investigation into Russia connections. Okay. So he is not by any means an intelligence professional. He just happened to uh, politic his way into the head uh, leadership of this. So who wrote, who has the memo for the Democrats? Who wrote who wrote that and who's who's investigating that? Um, uh, the ranking member, I believe. I believe all the Democrats together wrote it. Um, but it would be released through the ranking member's office, which is uh, Adam Schiff, who is yeah, a, okay. a career prosecutor from L.A. Who is an incredibly intelligent man. Do you think this is going to get brought up tonight during the State of the Union? Um, quite possibly, honestly, it would depend how well Donald Trump is going to stay on script, mm -hmm. because I will guarantee you that his script writers would rather let the House deal with this than have their message interrupted by Donald Trump being like, and another thing about the intelligence community, they're all out to get me, um, right? They're trying to focus on the uh, themes of like bringing American Americans together through patriotism. That's one of the themes that the press corps has been pushing from the White House. And so uh, unless Donald Trump feels the need to talk about it, I, I'm not really sure we're going to hear about it, but Donald Trump goes off script very regularly. So you you were going to go past like the whole week just with the F, like the Russia thing and like the United mm -hmm. States government. My biggest question is, 
is this Andrew McCabe stepping aside? Is this a big deal? Yes, this is an incredibly big deal. So um, for those of you who know history, you know that President Nixon um, was one of the few presidents to be impeached. One of the precipitating events of that is something called a sat the Saturday Night Massacre. Um, when President Nixon, he received a request from the special investigator for taped conversations, the famous taped conversations in the Oval Office. He refused to give it to him. Over the weekend, everyone assumed it would calm down. But over the weekend, he gave the order to his attorney general to fire the special investigator. Uh, rather than do that, the attorney general uh, quit. He uh, resigned in protest. Uh, Nixon asked the uh, AG Deputy Attorney General, excuse me, he also quit. Um, at that point, the Solicitor General was the head of the Justice Department, who then fired the uh, F, the uh, special investigator and uh, created a huge firestorm and led almost directly to the impeachment proceedings of Richard Nixon. Okay. And but so, isn't, isn't stepping aside different than getting fired, though? Um, so the reports coming out of places like uh, the New York Times, CNN, Washington Post all point to uh, intense pressure, both from Donald Trump himself and uh, Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, to put the brakes on the special investigation. In fact, in the New York Times over the weekend, it was reported that at one point that after f uh, firing James Comey, Donald Trump called uh, Deputy McCabe and asked, one, why had Donald Trump, why had uh, McCabe? Comey been giving a f given a flight home after he'd been fired over the television. He flew to New York, was fired, and then they flew him back to his house. Um, and he, Deputy McCabe said that he had no responsibility in that decision, but he would make, uh, if he had, he would make the same decision. At that point, Donald Trump said, uh, quote, tell your wife or ask your wife how it feels to sleep with a loser and hung up. Uh, so he has been attacked very viciously and uh, he was planning to retire in March but he stepped aside early, which then gives uh, Donald Trump the uh, chance to appoint someone to his position who will fire Robert S. Mueller. Is, I mean, with this whole Devin, Devin Nunez thing, I mean, it kind of sounds like a conflict, confliction of interest a little bit, just because he is like part of the Republican side, and I mm -hmm. guess he has like an agricultural degree and all that. Mm -hmm. But um, if, if, if something in his memo is true, does this kind of end the whole Russia thing with Donald Trump? Um, no. So the way special investigations work is you start out at one point and they say, here, you investigate, see what you find here. But they included in their instructions, in any special investigator instructions, they have, they have the ability to uh, investigate any crimes they find out about in the process of investigating the original crime. And right now, uh, the reporting coming out is focusing on uh, Robert Mueller's attempt to uh, find obstruction of justice charges against Donald Trump uh, for the firing of Robert S. Mueller, uh, as well as many other things. And so um, it wouldn't stop it. And this memo, one, doesn't really prove anything from everything that I've read about it. It appears to be. Um, so the, the main crux of this is there's one text that says, man, uh, between these two FBI agents, man, Donald Trump is an idiot. He's a terrible human being. Um, it just feel like we should start selling Russia calendars or start the secret society meeting, um, which is clearly a joke. It, you, at the FBI, you don't make a secret society and call it the secret society. You uh, you call it something nice like reading brunch or something like that. But uh, they're trying to say that there's a huge conspiracy within the FBI to bring down the uh, a branch of government, which is an incredible, incredible accusation. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> absolutely. But it, it, like, I don't know if the, I read this or I don't know, but didn't it say that like uh, 
uh, like Hillary Clinton and like Bernie Sanders were paying money for certain like speeches against Donald Trump and for them to um, make political campaigns in Russia against him? Well, what you're probably thinking about is known as the Steele dossier, which is a uh, which is a thing that was compiled by an ex-British spy named uh, Christopher Steele for a research company called, I believe, Fusion GPS. And it started, the research started during the Republican primaries, at which point it was paid for by, Republic, by a Republican like think tank or action committee, that sort of thing, to try to find dirt on Donald Trump, as you do when you're trying to beat someone in an election. Yeah. Um, after Donald Trump won, uh, the Republicans stopped paying for it because you don't do research on your own candidate. Um, and the Democrats, obviously looking to gain an edge, picked it up and started paying for it. Um, the FBI then took that dossier from Christopher Steele. They heard about it. They asked for it. And they independently, using their own sources, wiretaps, spies, that sort of thing, uh, independently verified a lot of the information contained within that dossier. And recently it has come out that there is a second dossier made by a different, completely different person, completely separate from that dossier that uh, also confirms the allegations in the Steele uh, dossier. I think okay. the one thing I'm just, you know, through this conversation is that there's, <laughs> there's a lot of different things happening and mm -hmm. intertwining here. And it's, uh, it's something that, you know, you got to stick with and keep like looking into, but mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's a very complicated issue, I think right now. Yeah. And just real quickly for our listeners, if you guys want to read anything more about this, I'm going to put all of my notes up on our website. I'll have nice citations for everything where you can go read more and just, uh, I think it would be a nice uh, summarization of what's happened. Yeah, absolutely. Week. He's got uh, he's got some good stuff here. Uh, thank you, Alex, for joining us on the show. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to take a super quick break, and then we'll be back with weather, and we're going to sign off. So, uh, yeah, you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review, only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. In Colorado, one in four women, one in six men, and one in two transgender individuals will experience attempted or completed sexual assault. CSU provides its own certified, confidential victims assistance team. These volunteers operate a 24-7 hotline run out of the Women and Gender Advocacy Center. VET is here to help anyone who has been affected by interpersonal violence. Call 970-492-4242 anytime, day or night. Again, that number is 970 492 4242. If you feel more comfortable using an off-campus resource, Northern Colorado supports those affected by sexual assault through the Sexual Assault Victim Advocate Center, SAVA. This message brought to you by the Women and Gender Advocacy Center, the Sexual Assault Victim Advocate Center, and KCSU. Welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am Gabe Peterson, one of two co-hosts here. I'm joined with Julia Badalise. Yep, I'm here. Which would be my other director, or host. <laughs> We're directors, anyways, host. Anyways, J.D. Layton, back on the mic. Mm-hmm. And uh, Raven Keller. I'm still here. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Well, uh, it's been a great show. I want to say thanks to Tom for coming on for the interview. Thank you to Alex for uh, that roundtable segment. And thank you, Brian and Kara, for coming on for the music segment. I'm going to have a new band to listen to, I suppose. I guess it's a rap group, whatever, alternative. Like a... A rap R&B group. The internet's first boy band. We'll call Apparently. it that. That's it. <laughs> we'll call it that. <laughs> um, we're going to end the show today with our weather segment. Mm -hmm. I suppose today is almost over, so you don't need to know the weather. But tomorrow, <laughs> Wednesday, uh, it's going to be partly cloudy with a high of 48, a low of 24. Doesn't look like there's going to be any precipitation. Wind will be at 10 miles an hour, so no big deal. Moving on to Thursday, it's going to look a little chilly. It's going to be 36 with a low of 23. 
Uh, precipitation's at 20%, so maybe maybe we'll get some snow. Probably not. Guaranteed. <laughs> Guaranteed we're not going to. And then if you want to know the weather for the weekend, you're going to have to come back to the show on Thursday. Yep. Dun, dun, dun. We don't make the rules. <laughs> <laughs> we don't make them. Just implement them. All right. Well, thank you to our reporters for um, writing things yes. and having us so that we can read them on air. Uh, that was a great sentence by myself. Um, thank you, Raven, for <laughs> Raven Color, for joining us. We will get you a real title uh, soon in the near future. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and we have J.D. Layton, our national news correspondent. Thank you for coming on. Um, Always a pleasure. I knew you were going to have a comment. Uh, <laughs> and Gabe Peterson, my co-news director, um, as well as myself. Thank me. Uh, Thank me. <laughs> Where's the shamelessness? You got to... Or the... It, the selflessness. Not. There we go. <laughs> shamelessness. I was like, the shamelessness, it was there. Uh, <laughs> anyway, this was the Rocky Mountain Review. We'll see you back here on Thursday from 4 to 5. We have the Rocky Mountain Review again then. Um, yeah, that was the end of the Rocky Mountain Review. Um, if you uh, want to check us out, go to kccufm.com. Yeah. And, Radio uh, FX. Yeah, and if you missed the show, then it should be up on iTunes in a little bit. Um, anyway, yeah, that was the end of the Rocky Mountain Review. You're listening to 90.5 at KCSU Fort Collins.